ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening to the True Alignment podcast. Um, we'll let you know as we as we pass over episode 60, 61, 62 here that this podcast has really grown organically. It's something that Edgar and I really love to do, and, and we'd love to have your help in helping us grow. So if you could, on any of the podcast platforms, write a review for us, follow us on our social media, or most importantly, tell your friends, tell your family, tell anyone that you think needs alignment. Hint, that's everybody. Thank you. <laughs> Live a line. Thank you. All right, here we go. One, two, three, four. Hey, welcome to True Alignment. I'm Edgar Papke. I'm Ken Sagendorf. We're, we're live today in the Gronowski Innovation Incubator in the Anderson College of Business and Computing at Regis University in Denver, Colorado, and live joined from Cleveland, Ohio today with uh, Dr. Scott Allen. How are you, Scott? I'm well. Lovely, Cleveland, Ohio. Lovely. Lovely, lovely Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, yeah. And the river doesn't burn there anymore. So <laughs> just in brief, hey, you know how to get a hold of us at info at truealignment.com with your questions, comments, thoughts, anything at all. And as always, we'll respond to you as quickly as we can. And um, yeah, and this is this is the uh, podcast where we talk about all things alignment. No all of them. All, no, no boundaries to this one here. So be ready for that, Scott. You never know. Um, how's your marriage going? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I just had an image of myself on the couch for a moment there. <laughs> well, yeah, and yeah. So, what was your relationship with your mother really like, right? So, so yeah, let's do a quick intro of Scott. We could at least introduce him before we do well, that. There's probably a little hint here that we were having a really quick, right? We were, we, were, we were having a really good time before we hit the record button, and now things have all of a sudden shifted. <laughs> okay, the intro. All right, so uh, all yours, uh, Dr. Scott Allen is the Robert M. Ginn Institute Professor for Leadership and Social Responsibility at John Carroll University. Um, Scott is a professor of management and teaches courses in leadership, the future of work, and executive communication. He's won awards as an educator and passionate about working with people of all ages. He's, a, he's served as a Molech Scholar in the Bowler College of Business, and his primary stream of research focuses on leadership development, where he's published more than 60 book chapters in peer-reviewed journal articles. He's the co-author of The Little Book of Leadership Development, 50 Ways to Bring Out the Leader in Every Employee, Emotionally Intelligent Leadership, a Guide for College Students, and the textbook Discovering Leadership. Um, one of the reasons that I wanted to have Scott on, on the True Alignment podcast was uh, I met him as a as also a business professor at a Jesuit business school, um, when he was giving a presentation about um, the collegiate leadership competition, um, for which he is a co-founder and the board chair. Um, and he's a fellow podcaster. He hosts a podcast called Phrenesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders, and it's ranked among the world's top 3% of podcasts. Scott's been out on the road uh, with many businesses of names that you would recognize, whether that's FedEx or NASA, or the Cleveland Clinic. Edgar, you can share a little bit about your experience and how, um, how quickly that aligned. Scott, as I do that introduction, um, what, what did I miss that I should have said uh, about your illustrious career so far? I've participated in probably 13 or 14 successful Guinness World Record attempts. Really? Um, yeah. give, give us the scoop on uh, what kind of uh, record attempts those would be in. 
So that's the part where it doesn't sound as cool. Because <laughs> there's some pretty low-hanging fruit. But I used to have this I used to have this assignment in class that was for my leadership course, my graduate leadership course. And 15% of their final grade was successfully accomplishing a certified Guinness World Record. Awesome. And literally over the 13 semesters that I gave that assignment, every class achieved that objective. Now, some, I was really, really, really nervous that they weren't going to. But, you know, these are things like the most number of high fives in a minute. The awesome. most number of people folding T-shirts in one room. <laughs> the longest percussion chain in the history of the world. Okay. The, the longest chain of tubes of toothpaste in the world. All right. The You know the Crayola markers, how they connect together? Yeah. Right? Well, the longest ever chain of Crayola markers connected together. And there's more. There's more. Now, what's so funny about this is that the students would kind of start searching Guinness World Records, and and one of them would say, "Oh, the most number of coins thrown in a bucket in a minute. I can, we can do that." And they'd get a video of some, you know, group of middle managers in a bank accomplishing that record, yeah. and they'd think they beat them. And of course, there was always, you know, where do you buy seven thousand tubes of toothpaste, and how do you get that many markers, and so there was always some challenge that you you kind of have to take into account, and it was always funny. It was always just an adventure. But everyone, every time, they accomplished it. It was really fun. And really the goal of that was that all of the concepts that we talked about when it came to the topic of leadership, whether it was navigating stress, influencing others, problem solving, they became a case study in that last, that last month of the class as they really kind of started focusing on that. So it was a lot of fun. It was interesting. It was also stressful, though. <laughs> <laughs> As leadership often is. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, Scott, that brings the, you know, the first question that comes to my mind is the leadership that you do in the classroom with your students and the work with that you do with leaders in the community, the leaders you have on your podcast. Um, what's the difference between those groups of different people relative to leadership? I think, I think for me, the first thing that at least comes to mind for me is just context, right? If I'm, if I'm working with a group of juniors, a lot of the concepts hold in a nice way. It's what's their context and how do we make this relevant for those individuals? So if it's a group of juniors, it's their student associations, it's the sports, it's family, it's their internship. If it's graduate students, well, then it's their context of the bank or the insurance company or the healthcare organization, and that's the context. If it's senior level executives, it's very, very similar. And so for me, it's about taking these concepts and orienting them to the different kind of buckets of content relevant to their context and, and helping them see how these things apply in those situations. So I oftentimes don't use, for instance, a lot of senior level speakers in my, in my undergraduate courses, I might bring in people who are three, four years out and they very readily connect with the students and help them see how the, how this content is super relevant to what they're doing. I so a, I just try, I just try and situate it in their context. 
Yeah, those are great examples from a couple of directions. So I have curiosities that show up for me. The first one is in light of that context in relationship to their own context and how it is that they learn. Uh, curiosity um, is how much of that then uh, gets brought into the conversation uh, or dialogue about contextual inquiry and the customer experience, hmm. if at all. Customer experience oftentimes isn't isn't necessarily a focus mm-hmm. of, of the courses that I'm teaching, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. Um, it's often more focused on individual, team, organization, kind mm-hmm. of those three levels. And so situating the content with you, with the team, and oftentimes like the, the Guinness World Record or I have a group of students right now working on an event. It's really, they've had about a month to plan it. It's really happening. There's going to be 220 people who are coming to a space that they have to recruit. They have to fund it. They have to recruit these incredible speakers that are going to be there. They become the case study. They become the course content. And then the the challenge for me is to help them capture that learning and help them see what's happening literally right in front of their eyes some of the time. And... So there's a lot of reflection that's occurring. There's a lot of reflection and sense-making as they experience this. And then, again, the goal then is that they can walk into their organization tomorrow morning and start watching the group dynamics with a keener eye or start or paying t- attention to what's happening for them as they're getting triggered or really, really applying what seemed like a seemingly disparate kind of concept to this situation that they're navigating in their organization today. So that's really how I think about it. But Edgar, as I reflect on how I answered that question, I don't know if I answered that question, the whole thing. Did I? I, yeah, did I, I, I actually, you, well, I think th- that I, I think in, in, yeah. in a definitive way, Scott, you answered the question because you, it's really an internal journey for them as the leader. So your, your goal is to have them go through that experience and then to be able to turn on them and look at themselves with that external lens about what happened during that experience. And I'm guessing, and, you know, as we mentioned the words Jesuit ped- uh, Ignatian pedagogy before we started, you know, in a very Ignatian pedagogy style coming from that context and having that experience and moving into that reflection. Um, experience, reflect, act, right? Yeah. And context is in there as well, right? And so, yes, it's... It's about building a habit of mind of paying closer attention to not only what's happening with me, but what's happening with the group. And as easy as that sounds, it's incredibly difficult to help humans build that habit of mind, myself included. <laughs> well, I, think, I think that's really at the, at the core of when you take a look at all the leadership development uh, programming and executive uh, programming and you look at them all, it, it, it's become apparent that awareness and self-awareness has come to the top of the list. And most course, course offerings or certificate programs start off with that executive programming. Um, with let, Let's start with awareness work. And so I, my hat's off to you on this one. I, I think that when you start looking at uh, the ideas of being present and being mindful in the moment, and being very observant to context and how people are uh, moving through that. I think that's, if you're even going to start looking at human or humanity-centered 
approaches to thinking about business, regardless of the context, team, organizational, whatever it happens to be. Um, that that level of that level level of uh, experience experience and experiential learning that then heightens that level of presence and awareness, or at, le- at least provides some fundamental understanding of how to go there. Uh, yeah, I, I think you're you're providing a really wonderful and significant slice of that Edgar, development. I, I'm I'm having a flashback to Scott. We had a company and their executive team here in this space with us for for a two day retreat, and I the the recollection I have was that their um, their private equity investor group came with them on the first day um, because it was labeled as a strategy retreat, and yeah. and um, they had their suitcases. They came from the hotel with their suitcases and they were going to leave by lunch. And, and they were enthralled in a way because we were in this reflection, right? Mm-hmm. This was the irony as we, um, the way that we, we do those retreats is uh, Edgar and I divide out the executive team that's coming. And so I think there was about 20 in that mm-hmm. group. And so I had 10 and Edgar had 10 and we do all of the interviews with those executives separately from each other. The way that I love to do it is I don't look up anything about the business. I try and figure out if I can discern how the business works by interviewing the executives. Um, and it's really quite fun for, for me to do it that way. Um, but when we got them here, that, that was the striking thing, is that they had some leaders that were unable to do exactly what you're asking your juniors and seniors to do, which was to be in, inside self and then self in concert with others. Um, and it was really, I mean, by the end of the second day, it, it was a struggle. It was a struggle for me because the, the leaders were so uh, dominant in some sense in that space and couldn't recognize that their team was asking for more, um, asking for their trust, um, but they couldn't see it. The leaders couldn't see it that day. And it's, it's amazing. You know, I think we all suffer from... 180 cognitive biases that are, you know, working our ability to truly make sense of what's happening in front of us. And so we each have to have a certain level of humility when we enter a space that look, I'm, I'm limited, but it is, it's absolutely amazing when I'm with organizations or with groups and there's, there's fear in the space. There's not a feeling of, I can bring my full voice to this situation and it's tragic in a lot of ways. It's too bad because I think, and, and sometimes, you know, this is all about alignment here, but sometimes it's kind of interesting because in an undergraduate leader development, at times I think we're, we're kind of training touch football for a game of tackle. You know, it's everyone can be a leader and it's daisies and rosebuds and chocolate bars and warm fuzzies. <laughs> and you know what? Leadership's awesome. And then you get into, you know, the, the contact sport of the world. And sometimes I think we set up our students to, to, to fail and to not understand some of those realities of, okay, how do I approach this individual and have a conversation? Or how do I navigate some of these white waters that I'm going to find myself in? But it's tragic when there's that. And when I'm working with groups, I always say, look, if you, if you ask a question that has a fair amount of heat to it and there's no conversation, that's indicator number one, that you're in big trouble, big trouble. Right. 
Edgar, I wonder, I'm going to ask the both of you this, um, you know, as you mentioned that, Scott, and, and, I, and I agree, you know, even for our MBA, um, I, I, I sat in the capstone. When I was asked to take over the, the program, I sat in the capstone course, and, um, you know, that instructor was very nice to let me sit in, and I wasn't there to, to pay attention to her teaching. I really wanted to know at the end of the degree what our students were capable of. And, 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 and back then we had a simulation we used in our MBA capstone and, um, the class was over, you know, we had, we had our four hour class at night and about an hour, three and a half, it's kind of the celebration. Everybody's eating pizza and, you know, drinking beer and wine. And we're, we're asking, you know, what questions do you have and where are you going to go to next? And, and, and one student stands up and I remember in the room and I, I tried for eight weeks to sit there silently, which is not my strength, by the way. Um, <laughs> Right. Yeah. You were working at your edge. Huh? I was, I was totally at my edge, but he stood up and he said, I just have a question in the first week of the simulation, I was winning. And by the sixth quarter of the simulation, I was in sixth place. What's the answer? And I just couldn't help myself. I just couldn't help myself. And I like shot up out of my chair and I said, the answer is it depends. It depends on so many things. Uh, and, 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 you know, now as I'm out there, you know, trying to convince people to come to my MBA program, um, you know, even in our orientation, I talk about the MBA, you know, what we desire it to be is a thinking degree, because at the end of the day, you're going to need to make decisions. And, 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 and here's the math equation that every leader is running through their head at every moment of the day. I need to, I need to be able to add apples plus oranges plus kumquats plus peaches and kiwis. And I, need, and I need to assign value to each one of those things in order to be able to make decisions. Yep. And really fast. And, and the yep. work we do, I mean, this is why I love, Edgar, the work that we do in True Alignment, because the work that we do brings that human screaming forward, right? Those human emotional needs in, in, of your customer, of your employees, of your leader, and they bring that human part there so that this is not external to the decision maker. It is very internal to the decision maker. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. You, you said something before, Scott, that also caught my ear, which um, resonates with me, is the fear part of it. Um, and it seems, it's, it, I, to me, it sounded like, so I need to take undergrads. Uh, and as we, the same thing, I think, in organizations, as we train leaders, we need to create a level of self-awareness that says, don't be afraid of your fear in a way. Mm. Uh, because if you're aware, you're going to realize that your anger, resentment, or you know, whatever it is that's going on inside of you and is keeping you, is keeping you from being the person that you can be, it, that needs to be embraced. It needs to be used in a positive light in a positive way. So there's that piece of it. And then I think to myself, you know, it depends uh, a lot of times it depends on what it is that you're, what you're, so um, many things. yeah. And we, and the place that you're at emotionally and what, and what that looks like. And so, yeah. you know, it comes back to that. And I, I really like what you said about the, um, because I think we do the same thing that can, there's a continuum of that, uh, way that we treat people in organizations. And I don't mean that we have to be over challenging or in their faces or anything like that. Please don't, don't know that I'm saying that. I'm saying this with, with the intention that we're helpful to people in organizations as we develop them as, as leaders, as we de develop them also 
as contributors to innovation and the design of, of change and what's possible. And that, that just doesn't happen if we're caught up and kind of in a way held hostage by the fear that's there. And well, if we don't learn to confront and we don't ask leaders to learn how to be, um, at some level at least, be capable, if not proficient, in confronting conflict and confronting those fears, um, that's a disservice if we're not doing that. Well, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And so Ron Heifetz at, at the Kennedy School of Government was really just instrumental in my own growth and development mm-hmm. around this this topic of leader development. And he said something once, I was at a exec ed program with them in 2006, I think. And, and he said something important. He uses a, a methodology called case in point, mm-hmm. where the group becomes the case study. And again, like I said earlier, a lot of the concepts emerge. And so he said something that always stuck with me. He said, look, I'm not going to pretend that leadership is safe. The students I'm working with are going back to some very, very dangerous context. And I'm not going to pretend that this is easy, that this is, again, chocolate bars and warm fuzzies all the time. This is hard. Leadership is difficult and it's dangerous in some cases. And so what I love about and at times hate because it's stressful, but I'm not interested in just kind of sitting around and, and, talking about leadership. That's like sitting around and talking about surgery. You don't have a surgeon at the end of that. You don't have a pilot at the end. You don't get in that airplane if the person's just talked about piloting. So what I'm trying to do is create that context where real things emerge, where the it's real. It's the conflict in the space and the struggle in the space is real and the stress is real. Trying to create that... Vygotsky called it the zone of proximal development. Mm -hmm. Like it's not too much that's going to draw people over the edge, but it's enough heat in the system that, boy, they're talking about it on the weekend. They're talking about it on the way home from class. They're engaged. They're trying to figure this out. And it has their attention. And that's also what we're doing with the leadership competition. We we are, which is generally speaking, a, a competition that we've, we've developed where we're trying to, create a space where people can practice leadership and then we're putting them in an environment where it's a little bit of a simulator. Okay. Uh, Emotional intelligence is super easy to understand conceptually. Now you've just lived it during this really kind of stressful experience. You lost it a little bit. Now in this safe space, let's reflect on how that impacted the group. And again, it's real. It's not just this kind of, Hey, let's, let's hypothesize. Um, I, I and think, I think that's yeah. the Achilles, uh, that's the Achilles heel of our work sometimes is that we're developing one dimension of leader development, the cognitive understanding, but we aren't necessarily developing the skill. We aren't providing the mentorship and the guidance or some of the experiences in like a guided way so that we are training them a little bit more for the, the tackle football version versus yeah. just. <laughs> Uh, the chocolate bars. Well, I agree with you. I, I, I think I actually do when you step back from it. Leadership in of itself is probably the area of professional development where very often it's talked about without direct application. And the idea of then of seeing the, um, the context, the immediate context is providing a lab and a, um, 
right there it is it's it, it, this is this is right now the the context is real for the development that occurs in the moment much like team and group development does when you're facilitating or working with a group we very often as a matter of fact we use the term let's pause here using this as a lab let's explore what's going on right now yep. and what yep. the choices of behavior are what's actually happening here and what are the choices that we have and how do we elevate that that consciousness that awareness that being present in this moment because this right now is the learning opportunity all too often teams and groups when they when they come to that critical moment they they redirect they go somewhere else um, you know they, they move towards safety as opposed to let's just confront this and we we like to use confronting uh, you know confront is to face the truth so we don't need yeah. a solution what we do need to do is be able to be present in the moment to have a real conversation about what's really going on and use it yeah. as a lab and i think then that i'm going to go back to how we talk a lot about leadership and development of leaders or we put people through classes without the direct application. I think that's really important because leaders need to be able to move to that level of facilitation and guide a group. And that is to be able to and want to step into that lab to be a part of that and make that happen because it's in service to, to themselves. Yes. But more so it's in service to all those that are engaged and involved in that moment. Yeah. So my hat's off to you on that on that work. Great stuff, Scott. Uh, Thank you. I want to I want to ask you some questions about the Frenesis podcast. Uh, I also just yeah. a, a little bit of uh, you know a point of pride when I was asked to come to this business school to start the innovation center. Um, I told the dean that he had selected the wrong person, um, and then I told him why I hated the word innovation. Um, <laughs> and and then he he's like, well, great, you come and define it then. And so, um, I, you know, that was probably the hook, the opportunity to come and take that word innovation and really um, lean into creating the definition for our space. And so, uh, you know, on the glass walls of this space we're sitting in here today, we have um, something that is based on the Nautilus, um, the image of the Nautilus shell, right, where the relationship between the cells of the organism uh, relate to the cells next to them. And we, you know, we, we kind of, it worked out in a way because we were working with our alumni that, you know, they said, you know, critical thinking in higher ed, that's good. That's good. You guys are okay at that in higher ed, but we need more creative and we especially need more systems thinking because we're doing the same work over and over and over again. Yeah. And then, so, you know, that we, those, every program, every event is meant to drive those three kinds of thinking with systems thinking as, as the end goal. Um, I like that. But then we borrow, you know, Chris Lowney's characteristics of heroic leadership as well. Um, you know, that merely begin from that self-awareness and move into ingenuity, love and heroism. And, you know, I'm very proud that I think as, as an innovation center, we're probably one of the very few that has love in that definition and then wrapped in companionship. So you do this not alone. You do it, you do it with others. Good. Um, and, and I think, you know, Edgar, that's as, as we think about our work in true alignment and, and we think about, um, you know, when I came to work with you, the, the oddest thing for me was these businesses that would sign up for these extended lengths of time. Oh, I thought you were going to tell me it was me. Okay, keep going. 
It was you. And, <laughs> and. Um, this is a both end. This yeah. is a bo- way a big end. We don't like butts in our faces. <laughs> the, um, We're all about the end. But I was amazed. I was amazed that we would, you know, we do a two-day workshop with, with an organization and their executive leadership team. And then at the end, they kind of roll out what they learned and it wouldn't, it wouldn't have hit. I mean, that was, that was the thing that was amazing to me. And then, you know, they stuck with it and we come back and you could just see it start to grab later on with that extended length of time, because we had to get over the hump in those ability to confront one another, um, you know, with, with intentionality. I think it, yeah, I think it goes back to the, again, this premise of practice of application that in two days, they're not going to you know, all of a sudden, yeah, they'll have some strategies. They'll have alignment on what their ideas are and, and, and what performance is going to uh, very likely look like. Uh, it, to actually apply it in terms of day in and day out, that's a matter of practice. It's a matter of application. Uh, and I think that very often, um, I think in business, and in particular in leadership, uh, you know, we, we have mastermind groups, which kind of, I get a kind of a little bit of a kick out of because then everybody, I suppose at some levels a master and the amount of practice, you know, mastery of a discipline requires practice. It requires patience and just, uh, any master of anything that I've ever spoken to that, that, um, is called a master says, well, no, not really, <laughs> because now I finally realized that every time I think I have mastery, <laughs> no. So I've come to the yeah. conclusion that I never really have mastery. It's, it's the pursuit. It's that pursuit, yeah. that discipline of pursuit of mastery that really makes it come alive and it makes that happen. Yeah. Well, I don't think I ever asked you <laughs> now, pardon me for just a moment, Scott, I got to do it. You know, Ken, this, uh, you don't like the word innovation. I've heard you say that now several times, and I don't think I've ever paused to inquire further. Like, what's your beef with innovation? Well, for one, it's it's a word that we say, and we're all thinking something different when we ah, say it. So the okay. the context is not in 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 the conversation with us when the word comes out. Yeah. Often, mm-hmm. um, people automatically jump to uh, technology. Yes. Okay. Be- because yeah, of that word. Simple and so I think it's it's Got about it. relationship. You don't have yeah. when you use a word like that, which is one of the common nomenclatures um, that has different meanings behind it. We we are not communicating with each other. Okay, that, uh, that's why. Um, what's so, your de- Scott? What's your definition of innovation? Well, I think of when it went. To, to your point, Ken, it's interesting. When I think of innovation, I think of the, you know, repetitive cycle of improving this, which I'm holding up, which is an iPhone. Yeah. Well, I thought you were and holding up innovation by design. We're, we're just going to, we're going to innovate and we're going to uh, re- repetitively improve uh-huh. and make the battery faster and bake, I should say, make the battery last longer. I, I was just watching Apple's event the other night and it's, um, but I, I agree with what you're saying. That word has a lot of different meanings in people's minds. Is it creativity, right? What's the difference between creativity and innovation? Totally. People blend those together as one. And we might even, as we speak right now, have different definitions in our head of what those two things are. So, yeah. It's, well, and it's I love, Scott, yeah, I love that you jumped directly to incremental innovation 
which is, you know, Apple has mastered the business model of incremental innovation. Um, yeah. And making it sound like sexy, like titanium. <laughs> like, whoa, I need that. I need that. That's For a thousand dollars. I mean, that is. I just love wait, that one. An Come M3? On. Tell me more about that, this M3. Oh. I can get that in black. Whoa. Oh, that's yeah. about as good as it gets. Well, I love it. it. I, I mean, I, and I think that's. <laughs> You know, and I, I, I would actually, I would just say kudos because most people automatically jump to a fully disruptive innovation. And I remember saying this to the dean. Uh, you know, I, this is my, this is my standard spiel about the innovation center. Um, people are in love with the concept of disruptive innovation. Um, the last one, by the way, computing in the internet. Before that, refrigeration and automobiles, which none of us are old enough for. Um, who knows what the next one's going to be? It could be this whole thing with AI and machine learning. Um, you know, five years ago, we thought it might be blockchain. Um, we, don't, we don't know what the next one's going to be. And, you know, as a business school, we have to be really careful because the other part is there's no money in disruptive innovation for a long time. Personal computers mm. come out in 1972. No one's really buying them until 1989, 90-ish. So I looked at Dean in the eye and I said, you can't, you can't run a business school hunting for unicorns and not making money. Nobody comes to that business school. Yeah, I think there's another part of that too. There's in a, in a, I, I, I agree with you. There's the incremental. And at the same time, there's also you know things that seem to just come out of nowhere uh, that manifest. And then again, yeah, it's really interesting because our conversation leaned right away back into the technology. And so what um, I, I think the next big innovation is going to be uh, beyond AI is what do we do with AI is, is um, how do you attain higher levels of, of human consciousness? Well, I, I think this goes to what you said, Scott, about, about the way that you teach. And Edgar, your, your line of questioning about leadership is this idea of practice. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, if we're going to do anything to teach innovation, we should be teaching the art of practicing a way of going about it. So Scott, your, your model of design, the, the idea that we do innovation by design in that principles of design thinking that are inherent mm -hmm. in progressive organizations around the planet. This is a way you act, not what you find. Yeah. It's this is, and experience. And in, in my mind always, when I'm in conversations around leader development, my mind always goes to any other domain. So in, in any other domain, and, and these domains are oftentimes closed systems. So like if I want to be a cardiac surgeon, I'm in kind of a closed system there, yeah. right? I mean, a heart's Literally, a heart. Now, yes. there's a lot of, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of complexity there, and I'm not diminishing for any cardiac surgeons who are listening. I mean, that's that that takes years of training. But again, if you look at how we do leader development, and you look at any other domain where we want to create someone who is skilled, football, piloting, chef, it, it, you just go down the list. We do such a poor job. We, we sit people in a room, talk at them for a day and a half, and then say, you're leaders. And again, that's like sitting people in a room. I just watched the rugby finals with South Africa and New Zealand. That's literally like sitting in a room and talking with some rugby players about theory of rugby and then putting them out on the pitch or the field. Or I don't even know what they call it in rugby, but they're going to get destroyed. They're going to be killed. We have not adequately trained them from a number of different, you know, they might not have the skill, they might not have the experience, they haven't had the mentors, they don't have necessarily the self-awareness. So, and, and, and they probably haven't had the time 
Edgar, back to some of your conversation about this does take time. Yeah. And how, how does that factor into all of this? So, and so go ahead, Scott. Yeah. You know, no, no, no. I mean, it's just, it's fascinating when you step back and look at it and, you know, how do we do it better? How do we better prepare people to serve in these roles? I was with a group of uh, female physicians last night who are just incredible. They're doing God's work, however you define that. But how do we better prepare them to be successful when serving in these really challenging, gnarly roles that are Herculean when you step back and in, in what they're being asked to to put forward. And then right? and then you step back and you, you think about systems, right? And the broad system to think that in in the history of of human beings that one of the true phenomenons is the is is I believe is is leadership. Because really what it is is a what you'll find over and over and over is that there's a majority of people relying on, on a minority of people, a select few to guide them, to lead them, to influence them towards better outcomes, to fulfillment of what it is that they're seeking in their lives. And we have this built-in dependency in our, in our social systems based on that phenomenon. And then to say to have that kind of power and influence, to have that kind of responsibility, to, you know, let, let me offer that to you in a three-month course. Yeah. Well, and we started this, uh, Scott, we started the True Alignment podcast um, in the January when the great resignation was had you know made its way into the popular the press. The great alignment. We mean. call it the great alignment. Um, mm. and, and you know what we thought about that wonderful space in time was <laughs> how you know business leaders were just puzzled because for the first time you had people leaving their roles without a second plan. Yeah, and they were like, yep. "But wait a minute, the thing that we have provided should be should be enough." I mean, there was yeah. such puzzling um, going on. Yeah, and I think that, that leads us to better understand, you know, when the beef that we have with the resignation piece is that resignation is quitting. And really what the reality is is people are looking to align their lives and have a better life. And yeah. if, you're, if I'm misaligned in my work, if I'm misaligned with the values of, of my organization, I need to find a place where, where that suits me better, even if it's – um, establishing myself as, as, as an entrepreneur or as a single entity. I mean, that's, I think that's what it's all about is to be able to create and find that alignment hence the clarity of the great resignation is, I, is I think a wonderful first, first shot at it. Yeah. So it's not really what's going on out there. Well, I mean, I think, you know, and related to, if you can't, Scott, to your point, you can't put people in a room for an hour and a half for three days and say, here's the answer. And then they don't know what to do with a curveball like that. Okay. I mean, because you said a, a few amount of leaders for a great greater amount of people. And I think that's the, the leader said, wait a minute, I had the answer and the conditions changed. And then everybody had no idea what to do. So here we are, we're talking about this and we've got our, our pockets, our worlds, our context that we're operating in, Scott. So yeah. um, what if... What if the ideal process were, were, were available or that we're able to provide that for leadership development? What might that look like? That's what I'm on the hunt for. That's what I'm on the hunt for. And, and you know, Ken, you'd asked a little bit ago about the podcast. And all that experience has done is just kind of uh, kick my butt for three years 
and help me better understand how little I know about a lot of nooks and crannies of the world and of the topic of leader development. And I, I, I think I've stumbled upon some of the bigger pieces of the conversation, but that's that right there is the, the Holy grail for me. That's what I, that's what fires me up. I have jet fuel for that question. If we have some people sitting in front of us and they are hoping that we will help them better navigate the challenges they're experiencing day in, day out. How do we do that work with um, their best interest in mind and where do we start and how do we help them? Because there's a large segment of this that is just the industry of leader development. It's a multi-billion to multi-billion dollar industry and there's a lot of snake oil with a lot of promises that I don't think are, are Accurate. Yeah, Scott, and you know, I think in our in in our world of of X, um, where you got to get it into a smaller number of characters, um, you know, that snake oil is sold in the form of, you know, here's the answer, here's the quick fix, as yeah. as opposed to getting into the process. I mean, I, uh, you know, it's 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 a different form of guru movement, um, right right now in this in this leadership space. I, I mean, that's why you know, the true, well, and I, I just want to say one thing about the podcast. So I, I recently re-listened to the episode with, uh, David McCallum and Chris Lowney. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm, um, I have Syracuse roots. So I used to, every time I go back from here, I would go to Lemoyne. Um, I went to grad school with the president of that institution. So I go in and see Linda Lemura. Um, and then I'd see Jim Joseph in the business school and then I go to see I David know, McCallum. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I, you know, that's what I always loved. And, and when David McCallum kind of, uh, and his colleagues put out a paper around what, what Jesuit business schools ought to be doing. Um, you know, that's a little bit of my challenge to my colleagues, which was like, how do we do this, um, mm. in, in our schools? And, and, you know, it's hard to gain traction in that conversation. Um, but I really think that's the, that's where we need to start. But I was struck when you were having that conversation on, on your podcast because Chris wouldn't give you the quick soundbite answer. <laughs> no, I, I mean, and I think this is the, this is the glory of Chris Lowney, frankly. Um, yeah. Right. He wasn't, he didn't have a quick soundbite answer. He shared stories of his puzzling over this as a leader. Um, which is what he's bringing. And as he's bringing into, you know, what I forget what language you all landed on, but um, a, a less faith-based space um, and now bringing it back into that healthcare space, the complexity of those healthcare spaces, how the answers seem to move further away, not closer, um, mm. right? The work in progress is, is in there. And I, you know, to have somebody who has been uh, a long uh, a law has had a long career as a leader and for him still to puzzle. I think that's actually the magic is that he didn't give a sound bite. And I've heard that on your podcast and with other speakers as well. They don't give an yeah. answer. They give a journey. Yeah. And, and to, to Edgar's previous comment earlier in the conversation, I think that that is at least a hint of some wisdom. Like, you know, uh. <laughs> I'm still searching yeah. I'm still trying to make sense of this, this very, uh, of this puzzle of, and we could use different words for that, but you know, so 
that that's what I have jet fuel for is is these conversations with individuals. And I, I think I'm I think I'm stumbling upon and, and making sense, at least in my own mind of some of this. I had a great conversation with a gentleman. You all should have him on. His name is Peter Ray. He's at Parker Hannafin, which is a Fortune 250 company in Northeast Ohio. They're hydraulics. So anything that has a hydraulic in the world, you know, that's a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they got it locked in, you know, but they, they brought him in to really, he's almost like an internal professor, but he focuses squarely on virtues. And it's really, really interesting how he's going <laughs> right to that as yeah. a core, the virtues and the results they've had are really interesting. And so I don't know. It, he, his book is called Better Humans, Better Performance. Yep. So, you know, and I have another friend who's a mentor of mine. His name is Gary. And, and he says, look, this is all human development. And if you have a better human, a, a more well-adjusted human, then, you know, probably when they're in this position of authority as a parent or a coach, or, you know, this would get to some of Keegan's thinking around, look, if I met self-authoring, I can see a larger perspective of what's happening in front of me, the sense-making, the mental complexity to navigate this well. So yeah, it's so much fun. It's so much fun. But anytime, see the two of you have each other, which is awesome. I, I Anytime I have a co-host, it's because I'm not going to be able to hang with that person that we're talking with. <laughs> so I say, David, come talk yeah. with Elise with me and Come talk to Chris Lowney or, you know, I have a friend, Kathy Allen. I said, Kathy, would you pilot this episode with Meg Wheatley? Because I'm not going to be able to do that. So, yeah. Well, we it's should, fun. we should, we should, yeah, we should talk about us being on Phrenesis and then you can hang with us. Exactly. By the way, exactly. I'm glad to hear you Love mention, <laughs> I'm really happy to hear you mention uh, Parker Hannafin years ago. I got to do some alignment work with them. So uh, I'm hoping maybe there is a, a a tale to that, that, uh, you're, you're experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, really cool story. Peter Ray, uh-huh. just wonderful work. That's fantastic. You know, I, it's, uh, it's funny cause as I teach in our MBA, um, Scott, we have, we were just having this conversation and we had in one of our episodes, we had, uh, Scott Tibbetts who, uh, remind me the name of his company. Well, uh, yeah, that was, uh, Starsis. Starsis. Starsis, which he, is he, now Sierra. Yeah, he founded Starsis, and his first real business uh, was with NASA. So the the, the, head, uh-huh. the title of that podcast is called I Cold Called NASA. Um, cause, <laughs> and and uh, you it had know, to it had to do with hydraulics. Because it had uh-huh. to do with hydraulics, and that's, that's the connection. But, you know, my students the night before we had uh, recorded that podcast – um, I, I, you know, I was on Zoom with them from all over the country, and I was explaining that if they if they design businesses merely to make revenue as the value, mm-hmm. then then they will be in a constant state of flux in that work with the people in that business. If they yeah. were to design the business for the value they provide to society, revenue will come. And, and Scott shared this story of, um, you know, when they landed the Mars Rover and their company was responsible for pieces of that Mars Rover and their logo actually showed up on the camera when it landed on Mars. 
And he wanted, he'd had no idea how the logo showed up. And it was because one of his employees was paying attention to the angles of the camera. Um, and I put it there very intentionally. And we got into this deep conversation about how in the culture that happened. And, and really when he talked about that community of people for each other in his business, you know, revenue never was a problem for that organization because mm. they did something first before the revenue. Yeah. And that's, uh, it sounds so almost contrary to what we should teach in business school. It's contrary to what my 40 year old students coming back for MBAs want to know. I, yeah, I don't, I, I, so the contrary element of that, I think that is what needs to be taught in business school. Oh, I fully is, agree. Yeah, <laughs> oh, contrary to what's popularly, uh, perhaps popular in terms of what's being poured. Well, it's the same thing that you taught. and I say that there's not all revenue is good revenue. Yes, absolutely. Right. I, I mean, I think that's the, um, and we say it, you know, as we, as we teach our entrepreneurs here, revenue is actually relatively easy. You, you can convince your family to buy all your products and services and you can make revenue. Mm. Um, but, but sustaining revenue and being able to grow it over time is actually really difficult. Well, and that's the interesting, that's the interesting conversation. I just, I just finished the Musk biography. And if you, if you all have not listened to or read that, it is fascinating. I mean, it's fascinating, but it doesn't feel sustainable. It, it's, <sighs> Uh, he is such a com complex individual and we could go into a whole nother conversation about him, but you know, it, it's interesting because you have some of these individuals, these case studies that are kind of forces of nature, like a jobs. I held up my iPhone a little bit ago. Um, and, and they're not working from necessarily a place of maturity or they're not working from a place, at least in the beginning of, of what you're just speaking of yet they're successful. Well, and the so challenge Scott is that we, we parade out, I call them the big five white guys, right? We, yeah. we, we, we parade them out as the models. Um, yep. and, and honestly, I think that's one of the, that's one of the places we ought to entrench some resistance, um, in our business schools, uh, in modern time to, to developing that, um, because, you know, everything that I haven't yet to read the, the biography, but everything that I have heard and everything I've been told is kind of surprise that, you know, they thought there was a level of values that was driving everything. And it turns out that's not how the story's written. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, really, really interesting. Some of these case studies out there and, 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 you know, where my mind comes back to right now is that it's like a Bobby Knight versus a John Wooden. One of those was a little more sustainable over a period of time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. And uh, one of those approaches uh, didn't get one person fired and, and is incredibly revered. And another person, you know, he won three championships, but it was a little clunkier in process yeah. <laughs> and not sustainable, obviously, because he's let go from IU, right? I, I kind of, and I really, really do like the idea of that every student or every person that is going through uh, leadership uh, development in their own way becomes their own case study. Um, yeah. yeah that's, a, that's an interesting piece when we do, um, when we teach uh, conflict management skills 
And um, that's the starting point is to me. What's my self-concept? Who am I? What are the lessons I've learned through life about conflict and what conflict means and how to use that as a powerful tension for uh, for change and growth and, and development of relationships? I, uh, yeah, Th- that idea in of itself is um, just a really powerful one. Well, maybe I, I agree. And maybe one of the keys, Scott, as you as you has jet, jet fuel to find this answer, maybe one of the keys is to um, is to create some normalizing around the construct that that mm-hmm. you can you can change. So, uh, Scott, we have a joke on here that I bring a movie reference in for every episode. Oh, we almost yeah. got over. almost we almost, got you almost made it. Oh. But. But this is, uh, my wife and I were talking about this. This, this movie haunts me a, a little bit in some sense. Uh, the movie, This Is How I Leave You. You, you know, I'm such a fan of Jason Bateman's um, and he's the lead character. I don't know, Scott, have you seen this movie? I have not seen this film, no. Okay, so the, uh, this is, what, you, I think the worst, the worst part, the worst part about me doing the movie. Yeah. No, it doesn't, does it? <laughs> this is how I leave you. The worst, the worst part of the worst part about me doing the movie Ciao, references baby. is is I am not a movie critic, nor should I be summarizing anybody's movies this quickly. Um, but in a nutshell, <laughs> this is how Can I leave you, you is about um, Jason Bateman, who, with full irony, is a very successful podcast producer. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he finds that his um, his wife is having an affair with uh, the person whose podcast he produces. Um, it's a sports uh, podcast celebrity. And okay. um, so at that very moment, have you seen this movie, Jim? At that very moment, he has to go home because his father has passed away. And um, their, uh, their family is, uh, they have some Judaism in their family. So the mom, who's played by Jane Fonda, asked them to sit Shiva for, for the week. And they all come back, and it's a very dysfunctional family. Tina Fey plays one of the sisters. Um, <laughs> Catherine Hahn is one of the sister-in-laws. And, you know, the one older brother that had to stay and take over the father's business is really angry because he has to stay home. And, you know, they're trying to have a family, and it's not working. Sounds and, normal to me. And, and, and Tina Fey and, and, and her marriage is, you know, her husband's kind of a workaholic, and she's got to keep it all together. And, um you know, his, his marriage has fallen apart. And so it's the journey story, but he comes into the movie with this level of success and of happiness. And then he ends up having to go back to where he grew up. And so there's relationships from there and all of the relationships in the family. And at the, you know, the end is him driving in a car because he makes a life choice where he has to figure some things out. And he decides to literally and figuratively, because the last scene is him taking the taking the fork on the highway. He needs to separate. He needs to separate and he needs to go explore something else so that he can find out about himself. And, and you know, it's all those movies are heroes journey stories, but I think we have to do something to make it less of a hero's journey to go and find more out about myself, especially in the leadership space. We have to normalize that. That's what you're supposed to do all of the time. Not, not when a tragedy hits. Yep. Proactive. I mean, again, that's another, that's another thing that I've landed on a little bit in that, uh, if there's a great quote, Bob Hogan, who you are is how you lead. And you could add another word at the end of that, who you are is how you parent, who you are is how you coach, who you are is how you teach. And of course, none of us are perfect, but 
who we are is what shows up. And I pair that oftentimes in my sessions with organizations because that quote just has, has me riveted. And, you know, there's a whole world underneath that quote, my knowledge of leadership, my mental complexity, my maturity, all kinds of things, my personality. And if that's true then, and all of us have areas of growth, then, you know, Carol Dweck of mindset fame, you know, she says becoming is better than being. And so who are you becoming? What's your long-term kind of plan to become a better version of yourself? If others are in your care, your children, colleagues, subordinates, are you actively becoming a better version of yourself? And I think if, if that's the starting point and it's not a theory, it's not transformational leadership, but you know, and I think that's where in many ways the Jesuits got it right yeah. with mindfulness uh, and, straight from their founder. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And the seeking yep. as we like to look at it through the lens of your, you're continuously seeking the alignment to self and becoming yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I'm in process and I'm not, I don't know that I arrive quote unquote, but am I at least oriented and is there a North star? Yeah. Right? yeah I love it. Well, um, Scott, some gratitude, some, some speaking of Jesuit stuff, um, some gratitude for having you here uh, on the podcast and you being able to join us, especially on a short invitation. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was yeah, a fantastically fun conversation. Yeah. yeah. Very much so. Thank you. Um, I appreciate it. Yeah. So uh, with that, I'm Ken Sagendorf. Yeah. And you know how to reach us, uh, info at truealignment.com with your questions, thoughts, comments, anything at all. Thank you very much, Scott. Thank you all out there for uh, for joining us on the podcast and listening. Uh, I'm Edgar Papke. I'm Ken Sagendorf. Yeah. Have a great week. Live aligned. Be well. Be well.